0: giant penny episode one alan moore all right welcome to giant penny episode one my name is jason also known as Dute. with me today we have hanzo what what hector hello and Jay. Hi, guys. Hello. All right. And our topic for episode one, Alan Moore, the man, the myth, the wizard.
1: So very recently we heard that Alan Moore, the legendary comic book writer, has retired. Uh, he's moved on. He's become a magician. And he's entering the next phase of his life. But before he does so, I guess after he does so, we should take a look back at uh, probably one of the most incredible careers in comics history, but especially in the modern era of comics, Alan Moore. So my first question to you guys is, what was the first Alan Moore uh, comic book or run or series or whatever that you've ever read? Like, what turned you on to Alan Moore in the first place? And I'll start it off with? Jerusalem last night. It was <laughs> it, it was a long night. It was a long night. It was really right? good. Yeah.
2: Uh, Guy could be pretty good. No, someone else. It
1: looks like a tight read that you could just crank out. Like uh,
2: I thought, it was a comic book. I was like, thousand pages. That's a big comic book. And then I found out it was just words. Who wants that?
0: (laughs) With no hour to slow you down, you got through it fast. All right. You you said you're gonna go first, Donzo.
1: Well, I was actually uh, putting the question out there, and I think uh, you know, I say age before beauty. So let's go with Jay. Jay, what was the very first thing that turned you on to uh, Alan Moore? I was
2: I I read Swamp Thing in its original. You know floppy newsstand run i was what was that 84 ish i was uh, that would have been 15 then and um people started talking about it not normal people Comic look people so this is like a smaller subset of people maybe three or four people that i knew i was able to get them off the newsstand and i thought it was just incredible and uh, i still think that's probably you know top three of the things he's done um and i, I would say that because you know, We've seen a lot of things where he reinvented something. All of his work is kind of referential and deconstructing. Or not all of it, but most of it. A lot of it is sort of in view of something in comics history or some tradition. But Swamp Thing is the one where you got to see, all right, this is the Alan Moore that's not a rock star. He's asked to take over a book. He's stepping into an existing character that he respects, an existing storyline that's ongoing, and he just takes it and rocks it and makes it just an ex- Each story was a great story. The larger sort of myth that he created was great while still respecting the tradition. And uh, I, I guess we all know the anatomy lesson kind of had a great, I don't know, I guess I thought it, I'll stop here. I thought it was very reminiscent of that kind of Twilight Zone, pulpy feel of the original sort of monster tradition to sort of the way it was phrased in the second person about you you thought you were a person, you were not, you know, spoiler alert, by the way, if <laughs> anybody hasn't read it. Oh for God. me, it was anatomy lesson.
1: What about um, you, Ocean Dude?
0: Jason Dude. <laughs> Jason Dude? For me, it was uh, the, the work that he's probably uh, disavowed the most. Lost <laughs> Girls. Yeah, no way. Right. <laughs> uh, the, the hottest he, of the work. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, the one that he uh, seems to have distanced himself from the most, the killing joke, um, which he now says is awful, I think is his official line on it.
2: I just um, to an interview He today. said it
0: was awful and that you're awful. Yeah. <laughs> he says anyone who's discovered my worked through Killing joke. Personally, you
3: you, he, he said it, and I quote, Jason Powell is awful. Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> and I, I, I hate him. Well, that's a common name. Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> wait, wait, Jason, the question is not your favorite. That's like your first encounter with him, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. There's, um, there's still
2: hope for you. You could say, and it's awful or something.
0: Right, right, right. No, he said anyone who discovered me through Killing jokes.
2: <laughs> so it's like you can't even change it.
0: <laughs> yeah, his view of me is tainted, and I he, want, he wants me to sell all the comics his that I own. Uh, it was because of the Batman 89 movie, which is, had the Jack Nicholson Joker, and so I was kind of starved for, or, or hungry, I should say, for reading about the Joker in the comic, because I loved Nicholson's performance, and that was the one, I think actually that was the one that Tim Burton read and kind of used, incorrect me if I'm wrong on that, um, somebody. <laughs> but I think that was part, partly Burton's model was reading The Killing Joke, I think.
1: No, it was. And, it was The Killing Joke and The Dark Knight Returns were kind of his two biggest, yeah. I guess, uh, influences.
0: So with the Batmania being all big in 1989, if you went to a comic book store, The Killing Joke was almost always prominently displayed in any store you went to. And, Amazingly
1: enough, it still is, too. That's true.
0: I had to have it. So I, I uh, purchased it. And I was only, I guess, 11 probably a little young for you all know the, the contents of that story it was a little it's, it's too young little that, that, that's why you grow up like that man that's why i became what i am today it was it was actually a little intense for an 11 year old but it was still affecting it was imprinted on me enough that later when i paid more attention to the names on the credits um i went back and looked at that name on the killing joke and realized i needed to find more things by that by that guy
2: Yeah, I just heard him today say he wishes he hadn't written it in all seriousness. He just says there's a little, you know, I think he's in a place after that where he thinks superhero comics should be adventurous or or always sort of for that 12-year-old to 15-year-old mindset. And he just thinks that story is kind of mean-spirited at this point.
3: I think he said that it wasn't interesting, just like that. I mean, because Joker and Batman are preposterous characters, and it's a preposterous story, and there's not much to be done with them. I mean, you know, it's, I, I, I think, think he uh, just really don't like superheroes that much lately.
1: I, I read in uh, what is it? I think the extraordinary works of Alamore, It's like a giant uh, interview book by Tomorrow's, and I he basically have says, I've "Yeah, never basically, I've never read it. Oh, you really should. It's it's really enjoyable. I think in it is is where he says that he likes stories that he feels." relate to the real world you know um, things that have are like parables or a little you know have but something see, that you can kind of bring to your own life and he felt that the killing joke was just the only thing it was just about Batman and the Joker and who cares but
2: that think about the, it I mean there's the inconsistency in all that and in, the, in this same interview he talked about whatever happened to the man to the to the man of tomorrow and for folks who don't know this story you know, the killing joke, it, it's got a lot of maiming, it's a very violent, sort of dark story. And whatever happened to the man of tomorrow is is a is sort of the last story before the John Byrne reboot of, of nineteen eighty-six. And it to call it to call it an homage is an understatement. I mean, he loved Superman, that was kind of his favorite as a kid, and he perfectly captured it was the, very dark though. Of it, it, it was respectful and and joyous and, and reminiscent. So it's just kind of weird that so close in time, he's given a chance to write kind of an end-all Superman story, and he and he writes a, a very loving and all-ages story. And then in Batman, he just does this sort of incredibly um, dark, maiming story. Yeah, I and I so think he,
1: that he um, yeah. actually, you know, and I hate to, you know, because we haven't gotten Hector's re- response to the first question, but just okay, to yeah, jump yeah. in, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, I think. Maybe the tone of the Kurt Swan artwork versus the tone of the Brian Bolin artwork, you know, kind of might Mollie make you feel a different thing. way. But actually, you know, the the whatever happened to the man of tomorrow starts off with Superman finding uh what Pete Ross in a box, his his dead body in a box. Is it Pete Ross? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was off that. with that. Um, so, and then it goes Jay, you know, then the that funeral. Up. <laughs> I mean, there's the whole thing of like crypto being killed by radiation poisoning as he tears oh, the out of the was... kryptonite man. Well, Mister Mix's is ripped in half between dimensions. It's it's still a fairly dark story, but just I think that well, one of them, artwork yeah. really kind of lessens a lot of the violence of the. Uh, of I, I the didn't film. remember all that, but it's not so much about how
2: <laughs> dark it is as much. One of them is very celebratory of what Superman is, and and in Batman it's not. And he's given a reason why he didn't like it as Hector shared. He's just like, I don't like superheroes, but he clearly did like Superman. That's what great Maybe was. he just doesn't like Batman. I mean, I think so. I think <laughs> the, the lesson here is no one should like Batman. Hector, what, what, what
3: kind of person doesn't like Batman? I mean, come on. Adult
1: men. Batman. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> but that's a perfect segue to uh, Hector. What was the very first Alan Moore work that you kind of discovered and turned you on to him? Well, I, I think it was Watchmen.
3: I mean, you know, I, I, I had read a lot about it. I mean, you know, I, back then I read a lot of Wizard. Do you remember that? It uh, was a really horrible.
1: Magazine. I think we're about to have the
3: same story, man. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and they used to, you know, just uh, praise Watchmen. It's, it's the greatest comic book story ever written. And Alan Moore is the greatest genius. And so once uh, I went into a, a comic book store and there it was. It was the first time I've ever saw the, the trade paperback. Was uh, you know the collect edition and oh well I'm I'm gonna get it I'm gonna read it I'm gonna I want to see what all the fuss is about and I think I I barely had any sleep that night you know I think I read it all in one sitting and I was like oh my god what the hell is this I mean I didn't know comic books could be this good I mean it was oh, how old uh, the, were you I think it was like 16, 17, something like that eighteen. And at that point, I had only read, you know, the usual uh, Batman, Superman, a lot of X-Men that I now regret because they kind of <laughs> are not good. And then I read Watchmen and I see, "Oh wow, I mean, this is, a, this is what the comic book medium can achieve. I mean, I, I need to know more about this guy. And I think he instantly become one of my favorite comic book writers. And I started reading all I could find about him. And it was great. I mean, to this day, I love Watchmen.
1: I think it's still my favorite. I have a very similar story, but I was a bit younger than you. I was probably 13 or 14, which I kind of think of as the perfect age for Watchmen because a lot of that kind of philosophical stuff, you know, you're kind of at that age where you're first trying to figure out, like, oh, you know. It seems so much deeper when you're 14 than when you read it if you're a 35-year-old. You know, when you're a 35-year-old, a lot of, like, the the kind of you, little musings of Rorschach and what's that?
3: You can find, you know, new things there if you read it when oh, you're older. I mean. Because, uh, I mean, back then, you know, I,
1: I, I didn't know
3: what he was doing with the medium. I didn't know all the symmetry, all of that stuff he did there.
1: And, yeah, I think every, every time I read about it. That, I mean, like, just remember Rorschach with the psychologist, and he's like, it's not God, yeah, hello. Da, 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 you know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, as an adult now, it's like, okay, you know, let's, you, you know you've heard that a lot in a lot of different stories. It's not as, as big a deal because you've, you've been exposed to more media. But at the time... You know i was all about comic books and i didn't really read any books or anything it was just comic books and like sitcoms on tv so like to be exposed to like anything that's remotely philosophical at age like 12 13 14 whatever it was it was like a real epiphany to me at the time i was like wow this is this is really different from you know like you said x-men or uh yeah most of the yeah, other yeah. comic books we were reading and, and i had the same story like there was a wizard poll what is the greatest comic book story of all time uh watchman was number one and dark knight returns was number two and i i visited my aunt in new york city that summer cause I was living in Panama at the time I visited my aunt that summer and went to a comic book store there and bought those two books and read them both you know in short order and it, it was really just like uh, so much different and better than what it, what the comics have been reading especially reading in the early 90s when you're reading Youngblood and you know
2: <laughs> Again, according that, to Jason, that book should not have been available to you because Alan Moore was cheated by those reprint editions being available it should have reverted to Alan Moore right Jason yes sir <laughs> <laughs> they had a gentleman's agreement we
0: are the characters. Did we want, are we going right into that or are we and, in fact Jason
1: correct me if I'm wrong but after you reread a DC Alamore comic you self you whip yourself with self-proagulation yes. right I do as I do. you read it I he secretly, uh, secretly because it's so good. it just hurts time. good
0: I am boycotting DC after I get right. um, the final Smallville season 11 trade paperback I will start the boycott after that.
1: After that. I started the boycott mostly because uh, the books are horrible.
0: But okay. I joined in
1: it too. Kind of one of like the biggest uh, feathers in his cap, but also the biggest thing that detractors point to when they look at Alan Moore's influence is deconstruction. You know, deconstruction was a a trend that, you know, I guess you could even say it started under Stan Lee with the, you know, characters like The Thing and Spider-Man. They were different than... Right. It, it was. It was a bit of a deconstructive. Was, but... a, a bit deconstructing, is right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I would say so. I mean, it, it was like you know, not every single character, but there were deconstruct like you know, the Fantastic Four not being able to pay their bills that month and getting kicked out of the Baxter Building, things like that. Um, and then a couple of years before Watchmen, there was the uh, Squadron Supreme uh, miniseries where uh, the you know it was like a Justice League story. They'd just gotten over like a apocalypse, so. The, uh, the Justice League was going to take over the world and install a utopia, but of course it becomes a fascist regime, you know that kind of thing. So deconstruction was on its way with or without Al Moore. And the, obviously we have the work of Frank Miller. But the biggest um, kind of knock on him and but also like what his fans really like about, the work that's his most lauded is deconstruction and i guess my question to you guys is what other elements of alan moore's writing you know he's he describes one of the most influential writers of the modern era so it can't just be yeah. deconstruction because other people had kind of were pushing that along what is it that alan moore brought to comics uh besides deconstruction that makes him so influential in your opinion
0: well i think to take it back to the killing joke because I never wanted to leave that topic.
1: Because it's awesome, and you want to spit, spit on his
0: grave.
3: <laughs> it's exactly. actually the only,
2: thing, the only thing you've read by him, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I did a, not know
1: that, man. Just to
0: frame this in the proper killing joke-esque context. Right, um, and Bad
1: Rock Violator. You read that <laughs> and Bad Rock Violator.
0: Well, yeah, that's good, too. But not uh, as good. Bad Rock versus Violator or Watchmen done right, as i <laughs> right. um, No, that No, I think one of the things that impressed me even at 11 was sort of the um, not so much the content as the form you know what I mean and one of the things this is another uh, we've already given about four reasons why he's disavowed the killing joke but another one was uh, the he fact really that he wrote it, like it he kind of wrote it in the shadow of Watchmen and he was still using the same kind of narrative techniques of Watchmen with all that symmetry and and panel layout and, and the way he kind of juxtaposed text with imagery and so it kind of was like I think Watchmen light in his mind a little bit, but of course, for me, reading that first, it was all new to me, and then obviously read Watchmen second and saw just how much more expansive it was. But I feel like a lot of what we like about Alan Moore is as much the form as the content, and and how he puts the narrative together beyond just like what in the eighties with all the darkness. Right. And the...
1: No, you know, yeah, I completely agree. I think that, you know, I'm not as someone that kind of has read Alan Moore's work, I guess you could say retroactively in the sense that I didn't read it as it was coming out, you know, like when I read Watchmen and all that stuff, it was like already a decade old um, is I think if you look at like a lot of the, the older comics, uh, like with Steve Englehart and you know, John Byrne, you know, even Chris Claremont, you know, and writers before them, their dialogue, it just lacked a certain naturalism to it. You know, the, the, it kind of felt uh, a little stilted, you know, and even, Someone as good as Stan Lee, you know, it wasn't like they weren't writing in a way that I I don't think they were trying to be completely natural. I think it was a stylized type of writing to convey a lot of information and a lot of exposition. They they were very exposition exposition in heavy comics back then. Yeah, it was very kind of there wasn't really a lot of subtext to it. It was like, this is who I am. This is how I feel. I'm explaining it in this way that in real life people don't. There wasn't a lot of banter to the dialogue unless Stan wrote it. Um, but you look at a lot of the guys that preceded Stan, they didn't really, that was one of the things they never really were able to capture about his writing style. People felt very natural conversations felt natural. It's just, there was a sense of naturalism to the way scenes happened that really, I thought not many writers up to that point in comics, even very good ones had. And I think it's something he's popularized, uh, because you see it since then, you know, you see guys like Brian Michael Bendis and, uh, Mark Millar, yeah. their dialogue is all very natural sounding.
0: So you're talking about Alan Moore's dialogue was more natural than the ones. Yeah, than
1: the before, prece- right? guys that preceded him. Not that they were bad, but yeah. just that they, it seemed like he was going for a more believable, natural sound. I guess no, I guess sounds the wrong word, but it just reads more naturally. I reads think. more because uh, when it's fucking out loud, it doesn't sound so
3: natural. See, watchman movie, kind of. I mean, well, <laughs> I think true. the actors
1: have a little uh, something to do with that too. But. Yeah. maybe was, a, the director who directed that I, I don't remember the name i think I'm a guy named martin scorsese <laughs> uh, that that that
3: guy's awesome
2: i think you want Best picture <laughs> for watchman to the listeners i'm the only one of this panel that likes the watchman movie i think it was good i would be interested uh, jason do you think are you just quickly on the killing joke do you come down on the side that batman killed him or,
0: or not uh i come down i'm not all right but um, or, or the
1: right side because
3: Batman yeah, kill the, the
0: Joker. Because
1: <laughs> right. uh, like there's this idea that he was like strangling him in the silhouette in the last panel, but unless the Joker's neck is inside his, his torso, he's not strangling him. His arms <laughs> I mean, are clearly on his. What, what kind of hack could we come
3: up with that theory? I mean, come on, it's 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 horrible. Of it is. <laughs> of it is. Right. <laughs> the man, damn, it. It is. Are, are <laughs> you referring
1: to Kevin Smith? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, was I, I it, it, it,
3: it was a, a bald guy you know from, it was Morrison
0: from, I believe
3: from, from bald
1: guy yeah the, the, <laughs> um, Brian Malcolm Bendis you, you I don't was know he I mean, that, was he the one that uh, performed I, I thought it might have been Kevin Smith I don't know I, I think the theory it's, it's Grand Morrison's yeah
2: there is the title I mean it's it's halfway there to killing the Joker it's like the killing joke but so. it's,
3: a, it's it's a a a metaphorical joke. you know it's, it's not
1: yeah. and why, oh, would I, they
3: leave, I, why would they leave off the R Awesome joke. I
1: think the killing yeah, joke is clearly referring it. to the guy that he bought the uh, fare from. You know, he killed the guy with the needle. <laughs> yeah. that, that guy no, I don't
0: think that guy died. That's a weird.
1: That thing. was a pretty pivotal character. Maybe he was just super happy.
2: Building off what Jason said, though, I would say this. My favorite um, thing about Alan Moore is not the deconstruction. It's the, it's the way when he comes to something, even when it's a material that people will later say, well, he was deconstructing this or that. Instead, he displays such a love and understanding for what it was to start with. In other words, he doesn't come and say, I'm going to show you how, how uh, horrible Silver Age Superman was. If you look at Supreme, he seems to get how great Superman in the Silver Age was. Or he, like I said before, he, get, he gets how great Muck Monster Pulpy stories are. Everything he ever picked up, he seems to be like one of the most incredible sort of pop culture geniuses in terms of, of getting exactly what people love about it. And so you, you might be reading something that's thought to be a deconstruction, but you're like, this is actually the best version of this thing I've read. Like, Tom Strong is clearly kind of a Doc Savage, uh, Mr. Science, 1950s, larger than life, you know, Uberman. And yet it's Tom, it's Tom kind Tom of like super awesome. You're like, I wish there were more stuff like this to start with, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're 100% yeah, sure. right, too. I kind of think of uh, his work on Supreme and that whole idea of the supremacy. And, you know, you know, it didn't really occur to me until you just said that. What well, that's one of the things one of my favorite things about Superman is like how many different versions of Superman there are. I like the Siegel and Schuster version. I like the animated versions of the movie. And it's kind of like he managed to just like, oh, like, wouldn't it be cool if all the versions of Superman lived in this limbo? And they were all interacting and it's kind of like you know you're right i mean it's something i don't think a lot of people were necessarily even conscious of as being a strength of superman but Alan Moore kind of picked up on it and uh i think that's why that run is is one of my very favorites
0: yeah yeah.
2: everything you read from alan Moore, you're like i never really thought about this but that is one of the great things about that you
1: know that's true yeah i mean i, I think swamp thing is like you know like going back to what you said jay i you know it's kind of incredible the mileage he can get out of some stuff. Cause if you think about kind of the swamp monster, uh, what would you call it? Like a a fad or something at the time, you know, with man thing and other kinds of uh, horror characters in the seventies, you know, I mean, there's none of the other ones really survived to become these kind of iconic legendary runs. that Swamp thing is, you know, it's like, he really takes things, finds out what the appeal is, but he also kind of elevates it. I think in a way that like, where even people that didn't think it was cool. Now, if they think it was cool, like he kind of reveals to them, Why it's so cool through his ring? Because I I have zero interest in like a, you know, monster movies or swamp creatures or anything. But you know, when you read Alan Moore stuff, man thing, you know. I'm sorry, man thing. You don't like man thing? I actually never even tried reading it, but I just, you know, like certain things. You know, like you're naturally going to be attracted to or not attracted to. You know, some people like westerns automatically. Some people don't. You know, war movies.
2: I I even I like Man Thing better than Swamp Thing, but but so then for someone like me that loves that kind of stuff. It's funny you don't like it, and yet you like Alan Moore Swamp Thing. I love right. it and I still like Alan Moore Swamp Thing. So he's kind of like he's catering to the to the home audience as well as somebody that would like to see it deconstructed and done something different.
1: You know, he kind of remind me too. Like when, when we were uh, kids, before superheroes became super cool in pop culture, uh, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen were like, oh, if you don't like comics, read these comics. Remember that? Yeah, I've never worked out for me.
3: <laughs> I, I I I once gave Dark Knight Returns to a friend and said, well this this what's this? It's horrible. I mean, wow. I
1: mean the art is awful. But what the hell Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I, I stopped doing that. <laughs> but, but it's it's it, it, it used to be that they now that superheroes are cool, I guess no one really says stuff like that anymore. But that's that's kind of how it used to be lauded as oh if if you think superheroes are all Adam n- West, n- you know. Now we are
3: like, you know, sages on the mountains. They come to us. I mean, oh what who no. is this character at the end of Avengers? Oh, let me tell you about that.
1: Oh, really? No, no one, way. virtually no one comes to me for that information. They'd actually, in fact, like for me to stop when I volunteer it. So <laughs> clearly we a different life than I do. <laughs> do
2: you think I about- can't think of a single thing I would give to someone who was an adult and had never really been exposed to comics? This, Love Girls.
1: All- uh, yeah. Oh, you got to it before I did. <laughs> what, what is I was going to say.
2: What? Well, Love- what did you guys? say? Love Girls? Nope. No, oh, <laughs> gosh. Yeah. I mean, all comics yeah. now are so, so referential. They're all so derivative of, right. of some earlier tradition that there's almost nothing today written other than maybe some indie comics that are, I, I should say, all superhero comics. They're all right. basically a giant deconstruction of all that's gone before or trying something new. That's to, 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 to like it, you have to understand that it's new. But none of them are just right down the fairway anymore, it seems like.
3: No, I mean, I, 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 like I they're, they're kind of. Well, I'm sorry. No, I, I love uh, current comics from Marvel and DC. I love superhero universe, but what you're saying is true. I mean, I wouldn't know where to start giving someone who has never read comics. I mean, it's I feel just, like there just are just a much. couple of
1: attempts on the side, like Thor the Mighty or whatever. But like, they they never last very long. You know, they're like they'll try these like little oh, yeah. kind of side yeah. projects, and some of them will be pretty good, and some of them are kind of lame. But like, they're never like the main thing, and they quickly seem to die out. and you know, yeah, or, I or don't fault other... Marvel and DC, I don't really fault the fans because you, you should only you should only have to buy whatever you want. But uh, you know, that's it, they're giving their audience what they want. Apparently,
0: the other thing that seems to happen in that, with that, uh, I realize we're straying far from Alan Moore, I guess, but is it seems like a lot of these comics that try to be something different, uh, they start out interesting and then the sales start to go down. So they're like, well, let's uh, let's have Wolverine show up, and uh, <laughs> right. suddenly it's a so different. And Batman. Anyway.
2: And that no, was no, no, no. that was a veiled shot at Agents of Atlas. And yes, I was... it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I I noticed it just uh, someone let me. Um, it wasn't Wolverine who showed up, but it was uh, the Vision. R- Hector, are you reading the that new Vision series? That oh, it's, uh, amazing. it's amazing. It's really good, and I was really liking it. And then it got to like issue six, and suddenly like twenty Avengers show up, and, uh, and I don't know who. This is fine if you're an Avengers fan, but I was just kind of enjoying this kind of weird story about this red faced android that was kind of they were doing something with the vision that was really weird and different and then suddenly it became oh we better get the avengers showing up and make it a more conventional superhero like, story you know it's wow. funny
1: that this funny. is topic, but it's actually kind of on topic in the sense that this is what alan moore you know is kind of known as the cranky beard for this is the kind of stuff he complains about how incestuous the idea pool of comic books are yeah he's yeah. very frustrated with it i mean dc has minded his work for 30 years i mean
3: Jeff Jones uh, built his Green Lantern run on, on two eight-page
2: stories Alan Moore did. I don't know, twenty years ago. Well, if, many. You, if you look at some of the interviews he's done in the last whatever month, basically promoting Jerusalem. You know, we, the, the the reason we we're having this is because he announced his retirement. And some of those questions, he has basically said that he, he stayed with comics because it provided a good income. You know, he's he, I think he checked out mentally a long time ago in terms of. Of uh of, of really believing in especially superhero comics, but even he, he claims this this phase of his career for the novel is kind of where he's always been headed. Yeah,
0: you know, I can mean,
1: understand I mean, that. I it, mean, it if took you a get, long time for that. He's kind of wanted it, to do it's a long right?
0: first phase. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I think Jay's right. You know, I think of the stuff that Alan Moore probably would be doing, like when he was done with Watchmen, when he left DC that first time, he wanted he did that book Big Numbers, which was just about people living in a small British town, Northampton. Uh, yeah, I mean, so like, I mean I never read Big Numbers.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what Jerusalem is about. It, it, it's
1: all about Northampton. I mean it's like the nexus of all realities and yeah, is from that, I wait. think from hell, things like <laughs> that, are what Al Moore probably
2: Wait, Hector, oh, oh, are you, oh, you oh, saying oh, that yeah. the comic book Big Numbers is about Northampton? I think so. I believe it is. Yeah. It was a lot of okay.
3: weirdness, you know, a lot well, of I mean, the larger
2: the larger point I'm raising is 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 he that is exactly what Jerusalem is like. It's it's in Northampton. He's exploring this this idea that all realities are sort of happening at the same time. And so if you really look at it, the first thing he did after Watchmen is he's still – that's where he's been trying to get for whatever, 25 years. Is yeah. this novel. He's been working on this
1: novel well, for like 12 years. I mean, it, you really, think about the comic book industry. It's, very un, it's a very unusual business in the sense – you know, like normal literature, you know, it's not like 90% of, of the literary industry is Star Trek and Star Wars spinoffs and like <laughs> – Everything else is this tiny little subgenre that like you really can't make a living at. You know, comics are very unusual in that way. So but I guess that's kind of another testament to his creativity, which, you know, he's mentally checked out, but then he's still producing these incredible runs on, you know, when he did the ABC line and then all that stuff for awesome entertainment.
2: I don't really yeah. know that there's, there's an analog to Alan Moore in any other area of pop culture, whether it's music or movie star, in that there's this... He's, he's like three things at once. He's got the hype. That is, he's the biggest name. He's, he's arguably going to be considered the greatest writer of all time. And he's already, and he's still active. Number two, I don't think there's anybody that thinks he's all hype. I think everyone thinks he's fantastic. And I a know writer. a couple of guys who think he's all hype. But well, I, I,
1: I've I've seen, I don't pay attention to them. go I mean, it, it, to a website called uh, burnrobotics.com? Uh, you God, might find one
2: it. or two. We have to have some stipulations. We don't mean no one, but I just mean he's legitimately no, know, I agree. Um, I mean, okay. held in high regard and is sort of the greatest. And he's also, uh, you mentioned his attitude, but he's – He's a fundamentally decent guy. I mean, if you listen to him in all of his interviews and look at what he writes...
1: No, I agree. Um,
2: you know, he's not some sort of crazy, like, crackpot that's off doing weird stuff. He's just, like, for 35 years, been writing incredible comics. I don't think you'll ever see somebody that's that good and that popular for that long. Again, this was it.
3: Yeah, I think, he, probably- I, I think he, he plays a part, no, in, in, in his interviews. I mean, he's, he's just acting a little bit, I mean, like, like a cranky, cranky
1: old guy. And um, you know, yeah. I, I listened to a podcast uh, several years ago. Um, Not a good Alan Moore, until. like, and he struck me as an extremely humble, down-to-earth guy. He just, you know, they would praise him to the heavens, and he would just, oh well, thank you very much. You know, I don't know about all that. You know, da 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 da, kind of, you know, like very kind of, you know, almost um, small-towny in a way. You know, and that kind of, oh, oh, please, you know, go on, you know, that kind of thing. Like, he didn't really seem to be buy into a lot of his own hype in that sense. I'm sure he he's, he knows what he's accomplished and he knows how his work rates to his peers. But at the same time, I, he doesn't me his guy. that makes him think that he's better than other people because of it. You know, some creative people, they're, they, they, they're very lauded, they're very famous, and then they get this big head about how a little bit of an ego, you know, and... Yeah.
0: It seems like whenever he does do the egotistical thing, it's usually a joke or a... a didn't, didn't Although he talk I guess about a lot
1: of people now say that he's egotistical because he's said um, DC Comics is milking his ideas for the last, you know, however many years, yada, 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 which yeah. has a sliver of truth. But he doesn't, that's, that's kind of one of the things that I think a lot of, that galls pe- people now more so than, you know, whining about Watchmen rights or anything like that, which is he doesn't seem to give any creators of today any credit, you know, like none of them that's are true. doing good comics and, he just and there's no real, real indication knows. that he's even reading any of them. Exactly. Yeah,
3: I, I think it was uh, Jason Aaron, the one who took offense at mm-hmm. of that, you know, when he said that uh, they are all, you know, following his, his footsteps. And he said, well, no, we are also writing some good comics. I mean, and you don't ever read them. But I think they take his statements a bit too seriously. I mean, Alan Moore, as Jay said, he strikes me as a really good guy. I mean, he is just asked this question over and over again, and he answers them as, as well as he can. And he, he doesn't like the way the industry is now, but
2: he's just going to say it. He's just yeah. not very diplomatic. He doesn't sugarcoat things. And, you know, occasionally he's a little bit, um, the, the thing I would say gets the closest to me for not not portraying a good person is when he's kind of ungenerous to his collaborator sometimes when he kind of, um, you know, suggests that if you cross him, you're dead to him forever. He, he doesn't, that is you He know, doesn't seem to be able to get over stuff.
1: He, he, has a long he really he's doesn't doing,
2: get all this stuff.
1: Yeah. He gave, I'm sure that those royalty checks from that Watchmen movie were not small. And he was just give them to Dave Gibbons. I don't care. But then, like, he's like, all he told Dave was, like, okay, well, just at least make sure Thanks. you thank me, yeah. which, okay. But then I guess Dave either didn't or didn't to his satisfaction. And now and Dave now Gibbons he- is apparently dead to him, which, and you, it's, it's not just like it's isolated to Dave Gibbons, you know. It it's, goes back, like, that's why 1963 was never finished. I think, what, is it Steve Bissett?
0: Steve Bissett, Yeah, was, yeah,
1: uh, yeah like, I don't know. He did something to piss him off. You know, I, I guess we have Jim Lee to thank for that series never concluding because he, it was supposed to end with an annual issue, and Jim Lee jumped in there and, oh, let me draw it. And I um, was like, sure, you know. And then by the time, you know, Jim Lee probably ever was going to get around to it, not that he ever was. Uh, Alamo probably was like oh are we still even doing that you know like, he kind of moved yeah, but on most, but they had the falling out with with Stephen Bissett you know he you know? I mean,
2: ought to be able to bury the hatchet on that it makes me think there is a flaw underneath there
1: there is
0: the he beard, seems, there's a flaw
1: <laughs> I think he seems well, a bit thin-skinned uh, about
0: but who among know, us is not does not have someone that's dead to us well <laughs> I mean, I'll say that? Now, two, of, two of you are I won't say which two <laughs> I'm
3: not then I know I'm
0: not the one okay well at least hector's right and that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) Uh, i'm crushed all right i'm
1: still trying to figure out who the other two could be then (laughs) all right Um. so you know getting back to the idea of being criticized for starting deconstructionist trend in comics Mm -hmm. that culminated probably at its peak in like kind of some of the very shallow takes on deconstructionism that we saw with like you know image comics um, Spawn and you know some of those other types of dark characters um, afterwards he said he felt like an immense regret for those deconstructionist books and he tried to start or at least be one of the earliest guys along with Grant Morrison and Mark Waid and Kurt Busiek as a uh, part of the reconstructionist effort of bringing fun and heroism and optimism back to comic books you saw with you know Supreme, Tom Strong, Top Ten, Promethea, et cetera, et cetera. Do you guys feel that those efforts were successful? Like, like, do you feel like, really, or do you feel like deconstructionism okay. still rules the roost in comics? I uh, think well, uh, they, they are now part of the tools
3: uh, comic book authors have, you know? I mean, you can really unring that bell. Now some comics are going to have to be deconstructionists. But I think he personally succeeded. I mean, that's, that's the, the one thing, uh, one of the things I love most about Alan Moore. I mean, the scope of his craft. You know, uh, Watchmen, it's very different from Tom Strong. Tom Strong is uh, very different from, from Hell or from League extraordinary gentleman. I mean, all these works, they are, I don't know, miles apart. I mean, they are different and they all have a glimpse of something bigger. I mean, he is really good building universes. I mean, in, in Watchmen, in 12 issues, in 12 issues he, he created a whole universe of superheroes. I mean uh, DC comics haven't been able to do so to do so in 5 years after revert and Alan Moore did it in 12 years. I mean that's great. I mean that's that's the thing that sticks with me
1: when I read Alan Moore. You know you, you kind of hit on something too that one of the reasons I think Alan Moore you know kind of brings that kind of extra quality to the books he does which was you know Dave Gibbons has talked about it and so is he about approaching watchmen not as a superhero book but as an alternate history science fiction book you know and having kind of that Perspective, you know, so, like, you know, they created that whole fault, you know, like, if there was a superhero, then, it, you know, batteries, like, what was it, Jay? Like, they, they something about batteries changed, like, you didn't need, they had batteries that could run forever because he could um, generate some element that in nature doesn't occur.
2: I don't remember that.
1: He was talking, he was talking to Hollis Mason at, like, a, you know, oh, one recharge. of those suit and tie deals, and he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah be saying all oh, cars will always need to be fixed and he kind of like basically took his legs uh, out from under by saying like oh i'm inventing a battery that will yeah know. it yeah. was uh dr manhattan right he said something about that
0: dr manhattan could synthesize yeah. some sort of material yeah needed for rechargeable cars or something. yeah um, it was like
1: basically a material that's so rare in nature that you couldn't mass produce batteries that way but because he can synthesize it all things so i mean it's that level of thinking though you know like he. he to, to do something like that, you have to kind of have the creative approach of like, you know, I'm gonna create an alternate history. How would a character with this level of power affect history? Then he has to have the, the brain power to know about, like, you know, oh, this is the element that can, you know, that is rare that can create these batteries. Well, that's, so,
2: part of, that's part of the Alan Moore thing, is I think the the vast, vast majority of writers in comics today and going back 20 years, are not nearly as well read or nearly as smart as Alan Moore. And so when you start looking at his work and going, yeah, why aren't more people kind of approach it the way he does? Well, I mean, he's just, he's got sort of the brain power and he's, he's kind of read everything of consequence in the 20th century so that everything he writes is kind of in full view of all that went before. He doesn't deconstruct or touch anything without, you know, doing it nimbly. Most of what he does, just you really can replic- replicate it because it's just, he's a genius.
3: I imagine him, you know, sitting in his house and it's just full of books. Around all around him, yeah. He I think he sort of
0: confirmed that actually yeah, in interviews. <laughs> I don't think he's, he's unfamiliar
2: with anything that's cool at all. That's that's transpired <laughs> since World War II in pop culture.
3: I think he he heard there was something called Harry Potter and he hated it. And he said so <laughs> in Century in, in the last volume of of Legisrandia like Gentlemen. But uh, yeah, in general, I, I think he's a bit behind the times, just a little bit.
2: And, and Alan Moore talks about this about how you know watchman may have started a trend that he himself wasn't happy with we've all heard that that it sort of ushered in or was part of ushering in a deconstructive dark era but i mean really what it is is a bunch of lesser artists just trying to go well, maybe i'll try to do what alan moore does and See, that that's a great point I mean, about can, what it was he was doing
3: i mean can we really blame him for being great yes but- <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can okay then because- no, i think that- the bad thing about deconstruction of comics or what some lesser writers think is deconstruction, it's not really Alan fault. I mean, he just did the best he could and he was great. Other writers were not as good and the results were, frankly, a lot lesser.
1: And, you know, if we're going to use the term deconstruction, a lot of them weren't even true deconstructionist comic books. They were just tough guy comic books. You know, let's take a guy... And let's just make you know, the Punisher into Rorschach, or let's, you know, like they had a lot of the superficial elements of Alan Moore's work, but they weren't like deconstructing anything. They were just having superheroes who kill people. And- I, I think it, it became a shorthand
3: for violent, grim, dark comics, the construction, even if the war doesn't really mean that. I mean, the, yeah, right. the, the part you were talking about, about how, how Dog Manhattan may have discovered a new energy source, that's the construction. Yeah, Superheroes being violent, it's really not right. the... You know, and,
0: and the other thing... Right. Is like the yeah, current. it's it's sort of, a, it's a fine line, I guess, between saying someone like Rorschach or, or these people who put on costumes and call themselves superheroes aren't really... That doesn't make them heroic. And then taking from that, oh, a guy with a big gun who shoots people. Yeah. is also deconstruction. Wow. One yeah. is deconstruction, yeah. or one is... I don't know if deconstruction is even the right word. It's just sort of looking at the the trope well, from like, a different angle. And not
2: just heroes on the... Well, term, that's deconstruction, like you know? man deconstruction only goes so far, but it really is kind of deconstructionist because what had never been that that question was the the so-called morality of force. We for forty years it was accepted that the good guy pounds on someone and that's okay. And there's there's always a, some lesser voices that said you know that's a proto-fascist kind of thing, an affirmance of the, the prevailing order with brutal force, and that there was never any really kind of questioning of of why it was okay for these these costume people, to clobber people and affirm the existing order and never deliver any so-called social justice. Yeah. And so yeah. one way to deconstruct mm-hmm. is to say, let's, let's make them a little bit more of a, of a murderous, SOB, brutal. Let's kind of reveal that someone would have to be kind of a brutal person to do this or a deranged or obsessive person. So really, you're, you're right that it's not, it's not an intelligent deconstruction. But the whole the whole idea of portraying a superhero as a very brutal and obsessively violent person is, is kind of inherently deconstructive.
3: The, the question you know, itself, kind of, I think, it's deconstructionism. Okay. Uh, the, I mean, the question, I mean, is this the morality or this the ethics of a superhero? That questioning that is the construction. Without that essential part, I think it's just violence. It's just mindless violence. It's just you know.
1: It well, is. I, I kind of wanted to, to also say that um, you know we're talking about comic books as if they're this kind of insular thing that doesn't have contact with the real world but one of the things i kind of look at uh you know with the rise of pop characters like Wolverine, Punisher, you had corresponding characters in Hollywood, you had Dirty Harry, Rambo, you know like characters in pop culture in general were becoming a bit darker than what they were in the 1960s. Um you know people really i, I remember reading an interview uh with Alan Moore, I'm not Alan Moore but Frank Miller basically saying uh this was in the 19s, but he considered Dirty Harry a a truer superhero than Batman or Superman at the time because Dirty Harry was tapping into something the public felt very deeply about uh, criminal justice rightly or wrongly. So um, that kind of has to play a part into, you know, if Rambo's popular in the theater, just like there were Shang-Chi comic books to popularize on Bruce Lee or Swamp Thing to popularize on monster movies, surely some of these violent superheroes were kind of cashing in on a craze of uh more yeah. violent heroes of the cinema
2: no question and dirty harry was accused of being a, a fascist and and all these same things were raised uh, and it's really different though because dirty harry portrays it that way and also it's portrayed in a loving and affirming way in that movie so people had a problem with dirty harry instead of having it be um, something that said, hey, police are more brutal than they should be. And here's this guy. I mean, there there was clearly, you know, a John Milius kind of writing going on there where it was affirmed. Whereas Watchman's really not affirming it, it's questioning it. You know? Right. I mean, really, dirty I mean, hair. I guess
1: that's kind of like, that's kind of my point was that, like, we we're talking about whether things are deconstruction or not. Like, a character like the Punisher, unless it's kind of Garth Ennis, where a lot of it's irony. Uh, for the most part, it's it's played pretty straight. You know, the Punisher is a bit deranged, but he's doing the dirty work that, you know, society needs to be done that the system won't, you know. It's kind of portrayed in that way, you know, kind of, uh, you know, he like Dirty Harry. He's, he's a hero, and even though he's, his methods are dirty, uh, we need a hero now that can fight the bad guys on their own terms, you know, that kind of a mentality. So I don't really think of that as being... That's a reinvention, maybe, but I don't really think of it as being a deconstruction in the same way that Watchmen is or Marvel Man.
2: Yeah, you're right. I put that in a different category. They just comics also got more violent and everything. But
0: well, one thing about to get to the question of the whether the reconstruction was successful, because this is a thing that always strikes me about comics like Supreme, or Tom Strong, or uh, Promethea, is that pretty much in all those cases, they they're billed as superhero comics and the, the super part is kind of accurate, but there's not a huge amount of heroing going on with a lot of those characters. I mean, Supreme especially was, um, let me give you a tour of my fortress and all my cool souvenirs. and. They um, are not really, you
3: know, chasing, was, chasing criminals, or stopping bank robbers and that kind of thing, right?
0: Yeah, finding bad guys, it's in there, but it's, it's such a small aspect of it. And I think I read an interview where, he talked, where Alan Moore talked about that was because when he was a kid reading Superman, The more interesting thing to him was the fact that he had a fortress of solitude and a dog and the, and the bottle city of Candor. It wasn't the fact that he was super strong and could beat up people. Well, and see, that's the way that
2: things are today. My biggest problem with superhero comics is they're not very heroic. Mm. And most of the fan base is about the costuming, the trappings, the, Oh, this is cool. This, you know, this, this character, this, this is the deal with this guy and this is his origin. Now the movies, conversely, to me, are always very heroic in the public response. But the comics are it's almost like a like a cosplay club that's just sort of, <laughs> you know, just sort of reading the latest exploits. It's it's more like that supreme you described.
1: They, there are I guess elements of heroism in the sense that like, you know, but they're always off to the side, like, you know, you'll start an issue of Daredevil and He's just wrapping up, beating up a bunch of bank robbers or something. And then we get on to the actual story, you know, like, it's not really the same.
0: Matt Murdock's Love Life or something. Right, was, yeah, oh, Matt and, Murdock's you know, Love Life.
1: or like. A, right. and,
0: and, and also, ballpark. I'm
2: not really complaining that they don't, like, put heroism in like an ingredient, like show something heroic, as much as they don't succeed at being a great and moving heroic story. They, they're, that's the the backdrop of it, because this guy is a superhero. But the, the, the real... Uh, thing that the writer seems to be pouring himself into is the sort of soap opera aspect of it, of what's going to happen to this character, you know, what's going to be the change to this character, who's going to put on the costume of this character, and, you know, I want to read a story that just really makes me sore with just the sacrifice or the heroism or this is why this guy does it, you know?
3: I think they do, they, they just take a, a long while to get there. Yeah, it's I really that, drawn out, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's different because, uh, you know, in the 80s or 70s, you could just up any issue of the of the racks and ah there will be the great moments of heroism now it takes i don't know 12 14 20 issues to get it but i mean recently i read a, a mighty avengers run the the second volume that's another thing because third fourth volume it's it's a little bit uh, complicated but i read that uh, that uh, run and it was great and it ended with an amazing moment of heroism of sacrifice of you know the greater good and it was beautiful but it took me, you know, 16 inches to get there.
1: You know, this is actually, to to bring it back to Alan Moore, you know, I I think this is actually kind of another effect of Alan Moore's kind of career is comic book creators, you know, it's like when Jack Kirby left the Fantastic Four and John Romita started drawing it, he was trying to imitate Jack Kirby's art style. They were trying to make it seem just like the same thing as Jack, like, you know, as close as they could get to what they were doing when Jack was on the book. Whereas after Alan Moore, I feel like every creator, I was like, how am I going to put my mark on this character? what am I going to do that's going to be different from every other creator who's ever, you know, like it's not enough just to do like solid Spider-Man stories in the way, in the classic way. It's like, you got to reinvent Spider-Man. You got to have a new angle on Spider-Man that, you know, like it's kind of like the J. Michael Straczynski thing, you know, with the spider totem, like they always have to have some kind of an angle on the character instead of just doing, you know, kind of continuing Ditko and Ramita and Lee's kind of initial concept of the character. And I think, I that can I, I, I do think that kind of comes from Alan Moore, you know, with Marvel Man, Swamp Thing, Watchmen, you know, like he kinda of comes up with these it's kind of almost like a before and after. He and actually Frank Miller on Daredevil, you know, like the and Simonson on uh, Thor, it's like they, they changed the game with those runs, so now every creator wants to change the game instead of playing the game as it was originally laid out by I do think you're right. They
2: they, they try to process it as before and after. Like when I took over this book, it was this, and everybody's gonna talk about the fact that this, but Frank Miller and Walter Simonson, it was about they didn't really kind of fundamentally put a gimmick in like a spider totem. They just it just got awesome. They just took the story in directions that were like, this is recognizably different. It's good. Whereas now it's like, (laughs) what's gonna be my thing? What's gonna be my spider totem? What's gonna be my Dr. Octopus is Spider-Man.
1: Well, when you know, Simonson, you know, Simonson started...
2: Uh, it at a green. It's like they're trying yeah. to describe what will be the pitch across the counter at the comic book store about what this is, you know?
1: Well, you know, the that legendary uh, John Byrne once mentioned the term archaeology, and that's kind of how Simonson's Thor ran started. He said, you know, whoever holds his hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. So he's like, oh, wait a minute, whoever holds his hammer. So it was almost kind of like he was, had that kind of mentality of like... Or well, what if someone else was worthy and picked up the hammer? And that's kind of where that Beta Ray Bill story started. I yeah, feel like that, it to that work mentality it to be, is it at
2: play. Be Beta Ray Bill, like that's an awesome name. It was an awesome character.
1: Well, it's because it Walt uh, well, Simonson is good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> did you write did... that one? It's kind of spider-toe to me. I agree. Hector, you were trying oh, to say yeah. try something. I, yeah.
3: I, I think that's a good time to mention that DC Comics is still mining work. Moore's work. Robert, it's a base of Watchmen. I mean, now Watchmen is is official part of the DC universe, and it's gonna be a, a story that's gonna take two or three years to unfold. But there's that as well. Doc Manhattan is the guy who
0: created the
3: I, DC. I think they're, they're going to to fight Doc Manhattan or something like that. Maybe Otis is out there doing stuff. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's so tedious.
1: I, I can't even believe that that's happening. It seems like the worst. And
2: and and that's that's cool. I love it. I love it. I don't. I don't read the comics. I'm sure I would hate them.
0: I do. I, <laughs> but know, I don't love hear. it.
2: I don't care at all about sort of respecting Alan Moore's Watchmen and leaving it alone. But to me, Watchmen, and this is true of the movie and the series, the pivotal moment for me, the, the greatest, most connective moment for me. Uh, there, there are probably four or five. Dr. Manhattan on Mars where he just has that epiphany about what what creation is about. You'll love over, it, yeah.
3: I mean, they, they are when he is to the, to that moment over and over again. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is <laughs> It's
2: building on that because he's overcome with just – incredible emotion when he realizes that of all the gadgets he's built and the clockworks he's never sort of ordained a story kind of like you know i believe god has in the universe in the sense that he just realizes how sublime that is that this this daughter of of the comedian and and all of this and he's overcome with it and of course at the end he says i think i'll go create some more worlds and he realizes that the ultimate sort of creative reward would be to create entire universes of events and just enjoy enjoy you know those kinds of stories coming together he's kind of become a, a full version of god and it's kind of what i think our god has done you know i, I know there's probably a difference of opinion but i think an ultimately creative omnipotent being would ultimately come to the conclusion, I want to create universes where awesome stories happen.
3: Uh, yeah, that's not exactly what Dogma Haddon did. What he did was screw up the DC universes. So right, exactly. Was,
1: that's that's great. the problem.
2: Which I don't care about. I couldn't care less about the
1: DC universe. So it, was,
3: it was all worth but, it
2: just for me to I, have that one I,
1: moment of enjoying the idea. But, but I care, Yeah, I care. I, I still care. I know, but that, that's what... that's, that's what, I, and You kind of that's see on point Hector. when he complains about modern comics, is that like... You know that's that's what they're that's what they're gonna do with it. You know, like you you just said something that like you know if you just pitch that idea like Grant Morrison, Warren Ellis, any number of guys, they probably could have something really interesting and creative with the idea of Doctor Manhattan going and creating these new world da 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 da. But Dan DiDio, or Didio whatever, and uh, Jeff Johns like well, what he's clearly gonna do is fight Superman now. You know, like it's like that's they're in this kind of thing where like the only thing that matters is kind of this kind of. Uh, Fanfic, you know, where oh, what if you know, shocks in the back cave, and then they're gonna karate <laughs> fight, and then Ozzy, you know, like it's like this Whoa. kind of childish, and of all, that's, that boring that sounds, approach. That sounds
3: awesome. I mean, Rorschach fighting Batman in the Batcave, oh my god, I mean, I'm just picturing that in my head. (laughs) Would they
2: possibly uh, hit a giant penny if they did? You know, (laughs) if Alan was
1: listening to this podcast, he just dismissively stroked his beard at that very... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's (laughs) great. idea. My
3: problem with uh, what this is doing right now is that they are practically blaming Watchmen for their horrible comics from the past few, uh, five, six six years, I mean. And I I don't think that's fair. I mean, it's, it's not because fold, of Watchmen.
1: But... We hired Rob Liefeld to do Hawk and Dove. You know? I
3: mean, it it, it <laughs> doesn't make any sense. I mean, the problems that DC Comics have had, have had for these past few years,
1: I mean, have nothing to do with Watchmen. Watchmen is the anti what they've been doing because they're they're into these huge interconnected universes with all this continuity and fixing continuity has been the bane of DC Comics since 1986, it seems. But like Watchmen is completely. Self-contained, it's insular. You know, you, all you need to understand the entire Watchmen universe is to read that first graphic novel before the before Watchmen's. And, and then go read about
3: that's uh, that, that's yeah. essential before Watchmen. I mean, that's essential. We, we need an entire podcast dedicated to that. I,
1: I, those are that's so two. Unbelievably yeah. awful, Great. in my opinion. Great, <laughs> amazing. You, you, I think you Darwin Cook stuff was, was enjoyable, but you know, the the oh. uh, the other stuff was just um, mind-bogglingly bad. Like. Like missing the, the point of Watchmen completely, kind of bad, you know.
3: I, I thought they were great. I mean, I never read it, but I
1: think they were great. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I agree. You, you've changed fair. my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's move on then from uh, everything that's wrong with comics to. Um...
2: It always comes down yeah. to that topic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no
2: matter what the starter is,
1: it's, is well, it's, for the it's, comics. it's nostalgia, right? I mean, does anyone watch South Park? Member Berries? Member berries, anyone? No, I missed that one. It's basically it's what's been going on. It's basically like um, making fun of America's obsession with nostalgia. All the adults are enjoying these this new fruit called member berries, and like you'd pick up a bear, like member Chewbacca, member, you know, this, <laughs> member that. you know, it's kind of like tying um, Trumpism to like this nostalgia for the past.
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. an age old topic. I don't know if you guys have ever kind of read Proust, I'm a big fan, and remember the Madeline's. He- Early on in the first volume, he you bites picked, into a madeleine, which is kind of like a little cake, and he's just immediately transported. It goes really back
3: good. in time, you know. The the, the, the work is about
2: nostalgia. Like, and the, the magic age is supposedly 34 and up. Like, once you hit about 34, 35, your mind just starts lapping back in these waves to all the things (laughs) you've seen before. You just kind of, the rest of your life after 35, you're thinking about the things you experienced for the first 35 years. Mm -hmm. Hollywood found
3: out that was a
1: a great source of renewable income. Yes. (laughs) I I seem to be nostalgic (laughs) for a period I never grew up in because I'm so, like for the last five years, I've been way into the, well, this is completely off topic, but just way into like the works of Jack Kirby, like who's basically not active by the time I started reading comic books. I'm, I'm the same way though. I'm
2: the same way with the stuff I love. I, I have a saying he was nostalgic for a time when he wasn't born and, right. you know, it's kind of a, but I, I, I keep moving backwards, like to my birth and then to the, this decade and that, and it pretty much goes all the way back to this. I guess Hollywood because you see world.
1: how the things that uh, were before your time influenced your time. So you kind of want to see the root, you know, you kind of like-, of
2: like discovering the world that you were born into. You right. Know?
1: Yeah, I like, think it's like a good the way things it. that
2: were there in the twenty or thirty years before. You sort of realize now. I get that world that was there when I was in the sandbox.
1: I'm gonna jump into uh, one of the last topics, which is you know other than you know Lee Kirby Ditko, probably one of the most adapted creators for film is Alan Moore. Right. We've had. Uh, let me look at the list here. We've got From Hell. This is chronological. From Hell, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Constantine, V for Vendetta, Watchmen, The Killing Joke. I have you know no doubt that. DC as the DC expanded universe kind of continues, they will probably find more, more things to mine from his his time there. So they have
3: they have adapted uh, for the Man Who Has everything I think twice. One right, yeah, one, and, one
1: uh, the animated series and, and one for Night- Supergirl. Supergirl yeah, which I never oh, that's saw. Right. They're great. So out of <laughs> out of those, you know, they're all flawed, I think, uh, in in some people's opinion. But of those, what do you think was the so the strongest and most successful of the adaptations? And why do you think it's been so hard to uh, create a film that has the universal acclaim of the books? Personally, I, 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 I
2: watchmen, but I'll let the other guys talk.
1: I, <laughs> I I I think they are terrible.
3: I don't like any of them. I like the adaptation. I like the I like the the episode in Justice Unlimited and Supergirl. But the movies, I I don't like them. I I think. But if you had to pick the best of the ones you dislike, uh, say Watchmen. Just say it, Watchmen. V uh, for Bandera. Okay, I I think it. it uh, I think that has to do with, to, because, you know, a lot more strength lies in the comic books, you know, I mean, in, the, in, in the way he he uses the, the form, the medium, and they are something really specific to them that they can really capture in film. I mean, the film is, is a different medium. I mean, they are uh, close cousins or whatever, but they're very different, and I don't think He's a strengths play very well in the screen. Yeah,
1: I don't think plotting is his biggest strength as a writer. Uh, not that he's bad, but I just think that if you look at the skeleton of, of Watchmen, for example, well, it's a whodunit. It's well, very here's simple.
2: What it's what very simple. I'll go second and I'll, and I'll jump off because I don't think it's V for Vendetta. I think that one was a very right. close miss. It was, it was probably one of the From most well, well made pictures of mm-hmm. all of his adaptations. V for Vendetta. Very beautiful and just the cinema, just great in terms of the parts but they missed what Alan Moore does, and, I, and maybe a lot of the adaptations were. He is great at making you identify or sympathize with all of the characters, the bad ones, the good ones. You kind of sort of inhabit them for a time. And when they made that movie, I mean, in order to do for Vendetta, you, you, you've got to understand that um, you, you sort of identify with blowing something up for anarchy's sake, but you then you realize, okay, well, this is wrong. And you're supposed to kind of identify with the government and the law and order and say you can't have guys going around killing people with bombs. But the movie uh, didn't do that. The movie had a very ridiculously over-the-top sort of fascist war machine government with no sympathetic character at all uh, running the government. And then it, it just it, it, it
1: missed exactly what he had accomplished with V for Vendetta. It didn't have well, the balance. It, Alan more it kind of explaining for the for vendetta is like you know when he first the after he wrote the first chapter it was, it was supposed to be kind of like 1984 government versus you know the one rebel or whatever just kind of like the movie presented but then after the first issue he said well that's actually kind of boring and he decided he moved the, the book into a direction of like how anarchy is the flip side to fascism like they're both you know suffocating to uh, i guess the human spirit whereas the movie producers you know just they took that kind of Kind of a challenging concept said one man must stand yeah. jean-claude van damme is <laughs> you know like it's just that typical hollywood you know like one lone rebel starts a revolution you know that kind of thing and it yeah, yeah it really missed the point of of v for vendetta um, they
3: they
2: lose the you know the subtlety the who could know, have thought to- the, who could have thought the wachowski siblings could make a bad movie i, I don't they can make think eight in a
1: row they only produced it they didn't direct it did they
2: uh no no
3: the uh, the director was uh, james mcteague i think
2: yeah okay
3: but they're Turns
2: great i
3: i won't hear a bad thing about the wachowski all right they're awesome i think
2: like george soros is funding them or something like they keep just making the most horrible flops ever and then the next thing you know yeah, you right. read Big budget Wachowski sibling movie coming out. How do they do it? Take the politics to Facebook,
3: Jay. The politics to Facebook. <laughs> not here.
2: No, I'm oh. talking about their movies. They're not good. That's not a political position. <laughs> no, I'm
3: Isn't it, a Jay? Isn't it? A Jay? It, is, oh. it is it
2: its for me, man. <laughs> Jupiter Ascendant? No but, so I,
3: no, but I actually agree with every single word Jay has said about *Before for I just think that also applies to Watchmen.
2: Yeah, Watchmen gets to me the big moments right. It's my choice for the question, um, it, it, it the, the boldest strokes, whether the Dr. Manhattan and what he goes through, I already mentioned that. The comedian, it, it just nails kind of, the casting was so perfect. The Rorschach was, was well done. There were probably six or seven moments that I really hated that I thought this, this just wasn't, wasn't right. But there were probably 10 or 15 that were great. And I, I would watch it again. I, I found that, you know, a movie that I enjoy to watch and that's probably the pass fail test.
3: Well, I won't watch again
2: any of them, but
0: <laughs> yeah. Jason. Uh, well, I think, uh, yeah, Watchmen, um, well, I don't know if it would be my pick. That's it's tough. I, so I, I think we're saying that for the man who has everything, it's not eligible or I mean, even the killing, even the killing joke I'm might sure. be kind I of like... Yeah, that
3: that's the, that's the easy answer. I mean,
1: yeah.
0: suffer, suffer. Far as far as like,
3: Just like I did picking before Mandela. I know you hate that movie, right? You, you walk out from that?
0: I walked out of V for Vendetta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I've, like Jay said, it was it was kind of a miss on the point. And, and it's my favorite Alan Moore comic. And so to see it get so close and then fail was frustrating in a way that From Hell, which is so different, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was so different that it almost didn't matter. It was almost like just watching a movie that had a similar title. Uh, and so it didn't bother me as much. Somehow seeing seeing them get so much of, like V looked really right,
1: and uh, yeah, right, I, I think that's kind of back to me. More <laughs> no, I, I do think that bothers you more because if they're if it's just flat out horrible, like no one looks back at Superman 3 and said, Oh man, if only you know a couple of things were changed, it'd be a great movie. You know, Superman well, I say that. Oh, okay, well, no one looks at Superman 4 and says, There we go. You know, if uh, if only a few things had changed, and I think that's actually you know, I'm gonna pick Watchmen as well just because out of all of them, it's the one I've rewatched the most. And I think it comes the closest in a lot of ways, but I, I think that's where the frustration lies. You kind of see um, kind of, I feel the same way Jay feels about V for in the sense that they, they had a lot of the parts, you know, they had like a lot of good casting. They had, they really faithfully created this world. Um, but then there were like these, the, for me, the visual tone was just way off, you know, like it, to me, like the appeal of Watchmen was supposed to be uh, partly that it's superheroes in the quote unquote real world. Whereas, Zack Snyder's movies don't really feel, they feel slightly cartoonish, you know? So you
2: got the answer right. It was Watchmen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: So Uh, I I guess if if we're going to close off with a question, what what is the meaning of life? And please explain in 45 minutes.
2: It's all right there in Watchmen.
1: (laughs) One really short, real sweet top three Alan Moore works. Uh, We'll start with Hector. Watchmen, I will
3: always love Watchmen. V from Bandera and Tom Strong. Tom
1: Strong, okay.
2: Jay? Uh, Watchman, Swamp Thing, Tom Strong.
1: Good choices. Mr. Ocean Powell.
0: I'll go with uh, Killing
1: Joke. Killing Joke. I'm before watching.
0: Killing Joke tied for first. Now uh, Let's see, I'll go with uh, V for Vendetta, um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And um, I'll go with The Dark Horse. I'll go with uh, The Ballad of Halo Jones.
3: Oh, uh, classic! So you know, but oh, like, you just,
2: know you are we, or... Jerusalem. My my answer is Jerusalem. Okay. Okay.
1: I think it would have to be probably Storm, Colossus, and Kitty pride
2: So
1: <laughs> no um, yeah, you,
3: you know, okay, crazy. Can, can, crazy.
1: can
3: uh, I okay. change my my answer because I wanted it to be Batman, Alfred, and Catwoman?
1: Okay. On a rooftop. Who, 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 like
0: who you would you most go. want
3: to have
1: sex with? In <laughs> order of <up. laughs> Gonna, no, for, right. for me Watchmen Supreme and um I guess I guess I'll say Tom Strong.
0: No, Supreme's a good one. Forgot about Supreme. Yeah. I got to change my
1: answer.
0: I always do. V for the is Supreme and Halo I, Jones. Supreme go.
3: Man and Tom Strong fought in my mind for a few seconds and Tom Strong won.
0: Tom I'll Strong is
1: the better more fully realized yeah. work but uh Supreme is is Superman and I like Superman. Yeah,
3: and it it's still like me that it never ended properly supreme
1: yeah well
0: blame eric larson for that
3: I, yeah, I i didn't know that i, I didn't know no, no, I, I don't think that happened i did and it was no, pretty darn good
1: all
0: right <laughs> all right we'll save the rest of that conversation for the eric larson episode and we'll sign off now this has been episode 1 of giant penny thanks for listening everyone once again my name is jason powell or Dute if you prefer i'm hector jay With Some
1: call me Hanzo the Razor, and you might be one of them.
0: Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us for episode two.